Well, again, thanks for joining us for the uh, podcast series we're doing here with the uh, School at the College of Arts and Sciences and Department of Political Science. Uh, today we're going to talk about, and we're going we're to call this podcast, Turmoil at the Top, How Trump versus Clinton is Affecting Congressional Races Down Ballot. As you know, the 2016 presidential race has been dominating the headlines, but lost in all of that presidential hoo-ha are the other key races on the ballot, some of them that could be influenced by the turmoil at the top of the ticket between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. So today we're going to look at how the presidential race is influencing lower level races for Congress, whose partisan composition could change on November 8th. I'm Steve Kendall. I'm joined by Dr. Nicole Caleb Hughes and Dr. Russ Mills of BGSU's Political Science Department. So let's start with the U.S. Senate, because that's the more high profile kind of thing, as anything to be profile compared to the presidential race. Republicans currently have the majority how many seats would the Democrats have to pick up to retake the Senate from the Republicans? Well, the short answer is f four or five, Steve, and we'll talk about that in a little bit about how that may play out. But currently, the Republicans hold 56 seats uh, in the Senate. Uh, Democrats hold 42, but really they have 44 because Bernie Sanders is an independent and Angus King is an independent from Maine, both caucus with the Democrats. So in reality, uh, they, it's a 56 to 44 split. Um, as, as a lot of us may know, right, uh, senators are elected every six years, and so during each two-year cycle, um, roughly 33 or 34 senators are up uh, for re-election. Um, what's interesting this time is the breakout of those 34 races. So only nine Democrats are up this cycle wow. uh, for, for re-election, whereas 25 Republican seats are up. And so the Democrats have a, uh, an opportunity to take back mm -hmm. quite a few seats this cycle. Um, What's also interesting is that a lot of the, the Senate races are in key battleground states. So Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, New Hampshire, uh, and Florida all have sort of key Senate races this cycle. And so what you're seeing is sort of what we're able to look at is sort of the effect that, that uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have on those Senate races. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess the question is, you know, we talked about turmoil at the top. Uh, we probably see a situation where in some cases Sometimes the, the person at the top has coattails, sometimes they don't. I guess that's kind of what you're talking about here is, are we seeing a pattern there, a trend of any kind? Yeah, I think we're going to you know, get to that a little bit here, yeah. so sort of looking at why, yeah. um, you know, in the past, how those coattails have worked. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but what's interesting this time is that there really may be a, a direct link between sort of the presidential race uh, and the Senate election, mm -hmm. uh, particularly if there's a tie. Yeah. Now, and what does happen if, let's say, we end up, because the, uh, the odds, it's possible that you could end up with a 50-50 situation there in the Senate. So what takes place in that situation then 50 50 in the senate the presidential race becomes if it's not already the most important thing which it is it also then has a huge amount of importance for what goes on in the senate with a 50 50 balance so it does if um if the democrats were to pick up four seats we'd have pretty close to that 50 50 split um and then the vice president who serves as president of the senate would act as the tiebreaker there for votes and so the winner of the presidential election essentially then would also would also control the senate um, where you see you see this kind of really coming in into play is during a Senate filibuster. And so in the Senate, mm. to end a filibuster, which is where you have a vote for cloture, um, you need 60 votes, so you need that super majority. Um, it is really unlikely um, that any party is going to hit that 60 that 60 mm -hmm. person threshold. And so what you're going to have is if you can't if you can't stop a filibuster, you're going to probably see a little bit more legislative gridlock. You're going to see even <laughs> even more than than, than oh, what we've had, had in the past. And so if neither party actually gets that that hmm. 60 votes um, hmm. and if we have the president and the Senate sharing the same party, um, 
you're going to probably see a filibuster um, occurring on on judicial nominees or on on other prominent nominees, mm -hmm. and um, you could end up with the Supreme Court remaining at eight justices, which which is fine, um, right? Congress mm -hmm. decides how many justices serve on the Supreme Court, and if there are eight right now and it continues to be eight, then eight is what we have. What happens if? someone decides to, I mean, could it, what number would, I mean, could, the number could be whatever it is then, basically? Um, I mean, you've had presidents in the past who've tried mm -hmm. to add justices right. to, yeah. um, right, the court packing plan to get their policies mm -hmm. through, um, and that, that didn't work, but um, I would assume that at some point you're going to have nine justices again, which is what, yeah. it's, what it's currently set yeah. at. Sort of the traditional Supreme yeah. Court that we've become accustomed to. Sure. Okay, uh, now if we look at the presidential race, Obviously, in some cases, you know, we have we have tons of polling for presidential candidates. Uh, what about people that have, that look at that and are going to vote? They look at the top of the ticket and they're just going to vote one party all straight down the ticket. The so-called you know straight sort of ticket voting. What kind of influence do we think that will have this time around? Is that is that going to come into play? Well, I I think it I think it'll have less of an impact on this race than in the past, mm. but. Overall, we've seen, you know, over the last two decades, we've seen a dramatic increase uh, in the rise of straight ticket voting, which mm. is where somebody votes for the entire party down the list, right? Some states right. have uh, buttons where you can do that. We'll mm -hmm. talk about that in a minute. But since 1996, right, so during the 96 election where President Clinton um, defeated uh, Bob Dole, uh, if you remember Bob Dole, yes. uh, <laughs> long time ago, uh, th only 33% uh, of folks uh, voted straight ticket between the presidential race and the Senate race. Um, and during the 2004-2008 elections, that number jumped to 55%. Uh, and then in 2012, so the last presidential election, over 75% of people voted straight ticket. So wow. this is really indicative of the, of the polarization of our mm -hmm. country, where sort of people are sort of going to their camps on the sides uh, and really voting down straight down the ballot, straight ticket voting. Yeah. Um, you could argue a couple of things. One, one, you could argue that America's becoming less politically sophisticated uh, and that, that we rely on party mm -hmm. ideas, sort of our cue uh, for how we're going to vote. Um, but, but why I don't think this is going to matter is I think a lot of people are gonna leave the top of the ticket blank. Ah. Right? Th this time I think you're seeing, and as we'll talk about mm -hmm. in a little bit with the polls, you'll see sort of these disparities between how people are voting for Trump and Clinton and how they're voting in the Senate. Now, because, as you said, there's been this increase over the past several elections in straight ticket voting. Have some states looked on that favorably or less favorably? Have some states said, wait a minute, that's not what we want to have happen. You should be more selective about how you go about filling out your ballot? You've had actually a significant decrease in the number of states that allow kind of the automatic straight ah. ticket voting, which is, which is mm -hmm. where um, you can kind of press a button or a punch and it, mm -hmm. it yeah. goes, it fills, it fills the ticket. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. and that's, and right, so right now you only have nine states that actually allow that. Um, and you've had some turmoil surrounding straight ticket voting in Michigan, um, mm -hmm. where as recently as January, the Michigan legislator actually voted to eliminate uh, straight ticket voting. Um, but then the U.S. District Court judge ruled that the legislature's law was actually unconstitutional so, um, because uh, it disproportionately affected African-Americans. Hmm, and okay. so the Supreme Court kind of declined to rule on that. So straight ticket voting remains we'll for take, now, at least. At least for this election yeah, cycle in Michigan. In Michigan. Okay. Now, as we look at this, we've talked about the Senate races, and of course, Ohio being the, the swing state, the predictor of elections, et cetera, et cetera, obviously the Senate race becomes pretty important. So uh, if, we, if we take a look at some of those states, uh, what are the ones we should be watching in terms of Senate races that are really important and have the potential to 
alter the balance in the Senate right now? Yeah, well, I would say the Ohio Senate race was one to watch. Uh, I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that if I were really keen on it, I would be watching it now. Yeah. Mainly because mm -hmm. Rob Portman has roughly a 13-point lead over yeah. Ted Strickland, and and you know things are going south mm -hmm. when the Democratic Senate uh, reelection campaign, sort of the super PAC for the Democrats who provides money for Senate campaigns, they've pulled all their funding from Ted Strickland in Ohio, yeah. which means mm -hmm. they're focused on more competitive races, which they see the writing on the wall that Rob Portman sort of is a more moderate Republican who. While he did support Trump, sort of uh, has distanced himself both in policy and, and by not campaigning with him, uh, that, that he's really going, he looks strong for re-election for him. Yeah. One of the reasons that, that uh, Rob Portman was particularly strong was because he had so much money in his war chest. Mm -hmm. He outraced Strickland uh, three to one with a lot of his money coming from the chamber, the NRA, um, and, and the Republican Senate campaign. Mm -hmm. So the Republican Senate campaign had done a nice job raising money that they into Ohio. Uh, what's particularly interesting to me about the Ohio race is how well Portman is outperforming Trump, right? So Trump has roughly a two to four percent lead, whereas you know Portman has a 13 percent lead. And so you see that this is a state where um, the Trump effect uh, really isn't affecting how well people are voting for Rob Portman. And actually, Trump could probably be helping Portman in this cycle by making him look more moderate and appealing. Yeah. And, and that could be one of those situations like you talked about a moment ago where maybe someone won't punch the top of the ticket, but that's they'll right. vote for Rob Portman on the Republican yeah. side. Yeah, and again, I yeah. think that's why we're going to mm -hmm. see some of that this cycle. Okay, yeah. Now, if we if we look at those, I mean, what are some of the other races that we should keep an eye on, too? If Ohio's sort of somewhat off the table now, I guess you might say, because at least, at least as of the time we're talking now with that lead, what are some of the other places where it's important or there are really competitive races going on? There's a couple of them. Um, one of them is Nevada, and what makes Nevada really interesting is you have Harry Reid, who's the current Senate Minority Leader, retiring. Mm, so you okay. you don't have an incumbent in that in that seat, and that's that that makes the race a little a little bit a uh, little bit more interesting. And, and it's a pretty close race. The Republican candidate is a um, a U.S. representative, so he's serving in the House, and it's Joe Heck. Um, and then you have Catherine Cortez Masto, who is um, the Democratic candidate. And Heck is ahead in national polls. If you look at the big kind of average, they have him as being ahead um, by about four points. Hmm. However, um, if you, that's kind of an average of a bunch of different national polls, and that's actually heavily weighted by a Fox News poll. Um, and the Fox News poll had him ahead by about seven points. Ah, um, and so, so it kind of shifts the average a little bit. But if you ignore that poll and you look at the rest of the polls, he's only ahead by two to three and a half, four points, which is well within the margin of error. And what makes that really interesting is it's a close race. Um, a lot of the polling in Nevada depends on whether or not it was conducted in English and Spanish or just huh. English, because that okay. can affect uh, response rates there. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the most recent poll was done um, by a newspaper there, and they have heck to be two percentage points ahead, but that's within the three and a half percent margin of error. So. Um, right, that's not a perfect, uh, not a perfect mm -hmm. poll, but we don't exactly know how close the race is other than to say it's really close. And if Heck were to win, um, mm -hmm. it would flip a Democratic seat to a Republican mm -hmm. one, which that I think... That means the mathematics yep. then say that, okay, now the Democrats have to find another... Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's yeah. long been a Democratic seat. Um, the right. second Western state is Arizona. Um, mm -hmm. which you have incumbent John McCain, who served for a long time, leading the Democratic challenger, who's Ann Kirkpatrick, by about 14 points, and that's, and that's to be expected. Mm -hmm. What makes Arizona a little bit interesting is McCain's um, historical tensions with mm -hmm. Donald Trump, <laughs> right? And Trump's quotes about McCain's status not being as, you know, he's not a war hero because he um, was a POW. Right. So 
McCain is up in his race by 14 points. Trump is only up there um, leading Clinton by two. Oh. And hmm. um, so some, you're going to have some voters who are definitely going to be supporting McCain where they're probably not going to be supporting, supporting Trump. So, yeah, one of, those, one of those impacts like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Sure. And, that, you know, there's, I have two other states mm -hmm. that I'm sure. really focused on. One is New Hampshire. Uh, so, again, this is another state where I, I don't think you're seeing the effect of, of straight ticket uh, voting that we were anticipating. So. Uh, the incumbent Kelly Ayotte, who's a Republican, uh, is ahead by about two, two and a half points over the Democratic challenger uh, Maggie Hassan. So, of course, independ uh, New Hampshire has a very strong independent streak, right? Uh, you know, their state right. motto, live free or die. And, and so Gary Johnson's actually polling very well in New Hampshire, which I think mm -hmm. is affecting, to some degree, the Senate race there. Um, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton is leading by about 5% uh, in the polls there as well. So. You know, this was one of the states that the Republicans were particularly worried about, that the Trump on the top of the ballot would really affect. Would, would resonate um, down through yeah. the rest of it. And, and you could argue that, that Kelly Ayotte may be winning by a lot more. Uh, had if it to, wasn't for. If it weren't for Trump. But, but again, I think, I think a lot of the independents in the state who are inherently more, a little bit more conservative would be more drawn to Johnson anyway. So I don't know that, I think they may have voted for Johnson and then Ayotte anyway. So I don't know mm -hmm. what the effect is there. And then the second race is in neighboring Pennsylvania. Um, so the Republican incumbent Pat Toomey is facing a really strong challenge from uh, Democratic candidate uh, Katie McGinty. So McGinty is roughly about one point ahead of Toomey, but it's essentially a tie. Uh, right. It's well within the margin of error. Um, and this is a particularly interesting state because this is one where the they're both uh, matching, right? So mm -hmm. the presidential race is, is fairly close there, right? Clinton has about a two-point lead in the average. Um, and again, that's the recent polls have shown tightening uh, in Pennsylvania as well. Um, so I think that these, if, if the Democrats want to retake control of the Senate, these are two states in particular that they really need to focus their, their money and attention on, New Hampshire and Pennsylvania. Now, if we look at that, then it, it, the Democrats are looking to find four or five seats, mm -hmm. depending on what happens in Nevada, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, what are, are there other places we should look at, too? I mean, there are obviously, the, well, all those swing states have Senate races, it looks like, or a large number of them. So, again, those impacts through, say, for instance, like North Carolina, Wisconsin, Florida, although in that case, Marco Rubio, who wasn't, who ran for president, wasn't going to run for the Senate, then decided, yeah, the Senate's <laughs> not such a bad thing after all, I'll do that. So you've got those states still in, in play on the Senate side as well. Yeah, um, with North Carolina, you have another Republican incumbent. Um, but here you have the Republican incumbent is actually trailing the Democratic challenger, mm. but again, by about one point. So that's yeah, well, so kind of well within, mm -hmm. within the margin of error. Um, and you also have Clinton and Trump kind of being tied in that state as well. The one I think is actually really interesting is you have um, Illinois, where you also have a Republican incumbent. Um, who has kind of walked? Who had originally endorsed Trump and then kind of walked back on that? Hmm. On okay. that, uh, the comments of support, um, and you have Democratic challenger, a Democratic challenger in that state, who is a current member of Congress, and it's Tammy Duckworth, and she was um, she's well known. She spoke at the Democratic National Convention, and she's well known because she was actually the first female double amputee um, uh, okay. in the hmm. the most recent war on terror, and um, she is. Is is doing well. Um, mm -hmm. Clinton is outperforming her in the lead in in Illinois, but if Duckworth were to pick up that that Senate seat, that would also work yeah. to kind of to kind of shift the balance there. And so you may see a little bit of straight ticket voting going mm -hmm. on, yeah. going on in Illinois. And, and you mentioned Wisconsin as well, right? Mm -hmm. So here you have Ron Johnson, the incumbent Republican, against uh, Russ mm -hmm. Feingold, who used to be a stalwart, right? Feingold, McCain, yeah. Feingold was the campaign finance law. Sure. So. He's known as a pretty moderate um, mm -hmm. Democrat, uh, and so you know Feingold has a pretty strong lead over 
Johnson roughly you know, nine, 10 points in that state. Uh, and so I, again, that's a state where Clinton's really underperforming um, uh, fine gold in that state as well. So, you know, I, I think that, I guess the takeaway from sort of this analysis really is that I don't think we're going to see the straight, you know, 75% in 2012. I think that number is going to drop drastically in this election, given the unique qualities of the presidential candidates this, this yeah. cycle. Because hypothetically speaking, if you had what we would consider I guess more popular candidates at the top of the ticket in terms of how people view them because their unfavorable ratings are, are pretty amazing. You might, you might, we might not be talking about this at all, but because of that turmoil at the top, which is what we've talked about, that you're seeing a lot of this impact. Uh, Indiana, real quick. Okay, there's one where, in this case, you've got uh, you've got uh, Evan Bayh. Um, it's it's a it's a showing to be a red state. I mean, Trump's leading by a significant margin there, and yet. Evan Bayh seems to be performing better as a Democratic Senate candidate than, than the top of the ticket is. Well, yeah, Evan Bayh, I mean, his family has a long tradition yes. in Indiana mm -hmm. politics. He himself was, uh, was he a senator, yeah. I believe? Yes. Yeah, yeah Evan Bayh was yeah. a senator, his, for, his senator for a long time. responsible for Title IX yes. and a lot of so, things. So, yeah. I mean, so that name, yeah. name recognition in a state mm -hmm. really is, and again, I think that's one of the things we've sort of, a common thread throughout what we've mentioned here, right, with Duckworth, uh, Illinois, Illinois, Feingold, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. the personal characteristics of a, of a Senate candidate still matter, right? Yeah. A lot of times that those uh, tendencies can overcome uh, uh, close national elections, right? There's a, there's a, a common saying in political science that oftentimes, you know, as, as an incumbent, you can overcome a four-point presidential race, but you can't overcome a 10-point. So what, the, ah. what, what they want to do is sort of prevent a major sort of landslide election from occurring. And I think that we're seeing evidence that that's not going to happen this cycle uh, between Trump and Clinton. Yeah, now one state which isn't a swing state generally is the state of California, which of course comes up with unique ways to do a lot of things, and sometimes that filters through the rest of the country, but there is a race there. Talk about the Senate race there, because this is like a, one unique, unusual situation that we won't see anyplace else in the country. Yeah, so California is guaranteed, no matter how the election goes, to elect a Democrat. Mm -hmm. um, a couple years ago, California passed Proposition 14, which was the Top Two Primaries Act. And uh -huh. what it did is it essentially created a top two primary system in the state of California. And so it allows, in the primary, it allows all candidates to run and all voters to vote, regardless of party, but it only moves the top two vote getters to the general election. Hmm, and okay. so it can be, it doesn't matter what party those top two vote getters are, um, they can be a Republican and a Democrat, two Republicans, two Democrats, they can be a third party candidate, um, but those are the people that go to the general election and those are the people you get to choose between. Um, and the system that California passed only applies to statewide races, so it doesn't apply to local races and it doesn't apply to the presidential primary, um, but it gives you an open primary system, so a primary system that you can participate in regardless of, of party. Party affiliation, okay. What it also does is it also means that third party candidates um, are not guaranteed a spot in the general election. On the, hmm. on the ballot. So you no longer are going to have someone from the Green Party on the general election uh -huh. ballot unless they happen to get- In the top two. Exactly. Hmm. Um, and so this year, um, California has um, longtime Senator Barbara Boxer is retiring. She's a Democrat. Okay. Um, and so the 2016 California primary saw um, Democrat Kamala, Kamala, sorry, Kamala Harris, um, the California Attorney General, got 40.2% of the vote. Yeah. Um, and Democrat <laughs> member of Congress Loretta Sanchez got 19% of the vote. And so those were the top two vote getters. Um, the rest was a long list. The third place candidate was a Republican, um, but they only received 7.8% um, of the vote. And so he 
comes in third with below eight percent and is off the the general the general election ballot. And so, the two people that California California voters have to choose from um, in this general election are going to be um, Harris and Sanchez, and they're both Democrats. Got so. That's that's what that's what you get. <laughs> and right now, Harris holds a pretty significant lead over Loretta Sanchez. Um, Sanchez is kind of starting to close the gap. Um, Republicans and Latinos tend to prefer Sanchez, at least in recent mm -hmm. polls. But close to half of Republicans in California have said they're still undecided as to how they're going to vote um, because they're left with two Democrats. Yeah, and, and I guess that would be interesting to watch too, just from a turnout perspective, because if if you are someone not of the party of the two candidates that are running, you may just go, well, unless you see something, well, this I prefer this Democrat to that Democrat, mm -hmm. or if it was two Republicans, this the Democrat will look at this Republican to that Republican. Well, and particularly in a state like California, where you're almost guaranteed that a Democrat is also going to win the presidential vote. Sure. So mm -hmm. as a Republican, you know, a lot of times in California, you hear, oh, I'm a Republican, my vote doesn't matter. And to an extent, that's been true in the presidential mm -hmm. election. But before, you usually have you know, Senate races where you can make a difference, but now you've lost that Senate component. And mm -hmm. there's still House races that are really competitive and local races that are competitive that matter um, in statewide. Exactly, in okay. statewide office. But the two big races, if you're a Republican in California, you may not yeah. have. You, you as won't have a lot of influence on either correct. of those. Yeah. Now, if, if we, we've looked at the Senate, unless, is there anything else we need to check with the Senate? We've got that pretty well no, nailed I mean, down. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think we'll sort of you know, we may see a tie in the Senate, or maybe the Democrats pull off, but it's it's going to be close. As the whole the whole race will be this time. So yeah, and that'll be something to watch because that yeah. has all kinds of implications, as you talked about, with getting candidates for whatever position through, whether it's sure. Supreme Court or Secretary, all those appointed positions, sort of things. Uh, the other thing that goes on in election every two years is the House. Yeah, and of course, that's a much broader group of people, but. Uh, Early on in the cycle, there was there was a thought apparently that the Democrats thought they could put the House in play. Where do we stand now, this close to the election? Well, I mean, what's interesting, you know, right? So every every two years, all 435 seats in the House of Representatives mm -hmm. are voted on. Uh, right now, the Republicans hold a 247 to 188 seat advantage. Mm -hmm. Right, so. For the Democrats to get the 218 needed for the majority, they would need to pick up 30 seats. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably unlikely. But, and what's interesting about the way the House goes versus the Senate is, you know, the, there's definitely more alignment between the Senate and the presidential race. The House race is because of a variety of things. One, probably the most important, is gerrymandering of districts. Yeah, I mean, word. we have, <laughs> yeah, you know, we have our, our districts in the United States mm -hmm. are very homogeneous now, um, right. particularly in many of the congressional races. So before getting ready for the podcast, I, I looked at the Cook Political Report, which is a really nice source of information on House races, uh, and they have only 16 out of those 435. 16 are considered toss-up races. Wow. So that shows you how uncompetitive mm. most of the House races are. So for the Democrats to pick up 30 seats um, is probably unlikely, just given the, mm -hmm. the sort of institutional and demographic dynamics of the race. Um, but, um, you know, and we typically don't see huge changes in the House unless it's what we would call referendum year. So, mm -hmm. you know, following, you know, the 2008 election with Barack Obama and George W. Bush, you've seen quite a bit of, um, yeah. Uh, quite a bit of shifting in the House, particularly which led to, which led to the conditions that facilitated, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act and other pieces of legislation. Um, uh, but following that election in 2010 is when the Republicans really made a concerted effort to control the state legislatures, um, so that they could draw the districts in a way that were mm -hmm. favorable to them. Yeah. Now, are there are there any House races we should keep an eye on? I mean, given that they are so. 
Yeah, I mean, what, rigid, what, I guess, would be one way to look at it. So defined. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. What's interesting is in a lot, in a lot of the key races are in swing states as well. So, um, you know, there's out of those 16, I believe five or six of those really key races are in or toss up races are in Florida. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. which always which plays is a, a very huge, yes, yeah, huge always player. a close uh, mm -hmm. a race as well. And that's because Florida is very demographically diverse. Right. Um, and that sort of spills over the congressional district lines. And so, uh, Florida is a state where if you start seeing Democrats picking up some seats there, it may be more favorable to them. But if I don't think I don't think in this cycle they get to 218. They don't. I don't think they pick up the 30 seats they yeah. need. Now, uh, you, you mentioned just in passing state legislative the impact of that, and and that's pretty important, especially because as you mentioned, they draw the districts, which we've just talked about being drawn in certain fashions. Uh, how important are those state legislative races this presidential election year? State legislative districts are always important, except that you don't always hear about them unless something right. really weird, um, really weird happens. Right now, you have 30 of the 50 state legislatures controlled by Republicans, okay. um, which is a lot, right? 12 are controlled by Democrats. The remaining eight, um, you have a split, um, and it matters. But it's not going to matter now quite as much as it will in in 2020, right? Because of the um, the fact that after the next census, we're going to redraw the lines. Right. Not every state uses um, the state legislature to draw the lines. Some oh, rely okay. on, on, like California uses a citizens redistricting commission mm -hmm. that's had, you know, limited success at how they draw the lines. And other states have made have made similar efforts. Mm -hmm. But even states that have moved towards um, less of a legislative process, you still see the legislature having a huge influence. And you don't have, even in a state like California, which is very democratic and made a concerted effort to have all viewpoints, um, both like partisanship and racial and ethnic diversity on the Citizens Redistricting Commission. It still doesn't right, look like California. It's still, it's still not as, as, di as diverse. So you're still gonna see um, efforts to gerrymander the districts. You're still gonna have the homogeneity of the districts not necessarily be truly representative. Um, and so you're gonna see a little bit of a, um, more of an effort, I think, in 2020. Now we're we're getting you know we're we're still a few weeks out from from election day 2016. But uh, if we looked at the Senate today, do the Republicans retain control? Prediction time. Well, I think if I had a my most likely outcome is a 50-50 split. Uh, I actually mm. think looking at the map okay. and looking at all the races we've talked about, mm -hmm. I actually think I see the Democrats picking up five seats. So I see them winning in Pennsylvania, Illinois, Wisconsin. I think they'll pull it out of North Carolina, and then I think Evan Bayh wins in, in Indiana. Indiana. But I think they're going to lose the Nevada seat that was occupied by Harry Reid. So I think that's a net gain of four. And if that happens, of course, the presidential election determines who controls the yeah. Senate. Uh, mm -hmm. So in the House, I, I see the Democrats picking up maybe five to ten seats. Um, but I, I still think uh, the Republicans are still going to have a pretty good grip on the uh, control of the of the House at that. Yeah, point. I think yeah. as I mentioned before, I don't think that I. I because of the candidates, um, if this were, if we yeah. had a, a traditional, you know, a Jeb Bush or a, a Marco Rubio versus Clinton, I think you would have the conditions maybe for a larger sweep of seats in the House for mm. the Republicans. Um, but I don't, I don't see that happening. Because of the cycle. turmoil at the top here, that's going to that's going to be reflected yeah. somewhat in the in the down that. down ticket races. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I think Republicans are going to keep keep the House. Mm -hmm. um, I think with the current makeup of the districts, the Democrats are just going to be hard pressed to pick up the number needed to, to take the majority. Um, that's just I don't I don't see that happening. And maybe after 2020, when the districts look different, um, you have a different set of candidates. But 
right now I don't I don't see that no. happening. So so it's, so what in essence the Senate we're thinking 50-50 right now and the House mm. probably, uh, what, what do you think I'm, about, I'm not going to be as, I'm not going to be quite as confident as the, uh, quite, the 50 /50 as, quite as confident no. on on the Senate but mm -hmm. I don't know I mean unless you get one party that hits 60 it doesn't, to doesn't some degree, matter. doesn't the matter. The effect isn't really yeah. going to be huge. 50 so. 50 sounds important, but uh, yeah. the reality is yeah. you still need to have, you have to have somebody cross over the yeah. aisle to help do whatever. Tim Kaner yeah. might Pence will get a lot of steps. That's all that'll happen, right? They'll <laughs> yeah. be going back and forth to the Capitol from, from the White House <laughs> to cast that deciding yeah. vote. So, um, yeah, someone will be busy. Someone yes. will be busy. So good. Okay, well, uh, Russ Mills, Nicole Kayla Fuse, thank you so much. Uh, this has been Turmoil at the Top, our continuing kind of series on assessing the presidential uh, election race of 2016. And we'll be back again next week with another podcast talking about uh, the presidential race of 2016 and some of the other factors that could impact what we see happen in November. So thank you very much. And you join us again next time. Thanks a lot.